Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. When the last Apollo astronauts returned from the moon in 1972, did the U.S. military secretly return and maintain a foothold? Why is President Trump proposing a space force? Is there a fear of aliens anywhere in this picture? Hello and welcome to the uh, 762nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM and uh, 93 or 99.3 FM. Sorry, still a little new to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and our 11th year on the air as well. I'm Ben and those spaced out questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and dad, Paul. And uh, today we are going to bring you a special guest on a subject we've never really talked about before on the air. And uh, we welcome your calls today. Numbers are uh, 401-766-1240. That is from anywhere. And uh, you can also send emails during or after the show. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for those. And don't forget about uh, those pesky Facebook messages. Ordinarily, we don't allow pseudonyms for show guests, but we have tremendous respect for this uh, fellow, and uh, he's coming to us via Skype today. Uh, someone uh, we greatly respect, as I say, Commander Cobra, host of T.F. Griffon, <coughs> I guess I'm pronouncing that correctly, on KGRA Radio. He is a retired U.S. military officer and aviator, stationed and operationally employed all over the world, including Europe, the Arctic, and the Antarctic, Central and South America, Australia, New Zealand, and Southwest Asia. Uh, he works as a professional military con- uh, contractor, pr- primarily in aviation, uh, for aviation in areas of intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, uh, operational test and evaluation, and operations um, support for military and law enforcement. So, Cobra Commander, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much, Paul and Ben. It is my pleasure. Well, it's great to have you here. Glad you're taking a day off from uh, fighting G.I. Joe. <laughs> well, it's the Ooh. other way around. You're thinking of Cobra Commander. I know. This is Commander Cobra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh... I like to think of it that way, though. I just, I just keep thinking of the. Yeah, the... you know, you're not the only one. Actually, I did have a guest on not too long ago on uh, on my show, and you were correct, Paul. It's uh, Task Force TF stands for Task Force Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the old Celtic way of spelling it, and yeah. uh, the reason I picked that is uh, was one of the uh, organizations I was part of, and I was always enamored by uh, the. Uh, cryptid of uh, mythology of an eagle and a lion joined together so that's uh, that's where that came from on there uh she was uh her uh, her call sign was cobra commander so uh it was kind of fun to get her on the air when we were having a, a pretty good laugh going back and forth with our our kind of our goofy names that we give each other uh in the service well, that's true. Well, that's mostly uh among uh, that's true a lot among pilots as well yeah, pilots. Yeah. Uh, that's probably where it, it's it's the strongest. And the 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 legend or the uh, the myth that kind of goes with it, but it does have some uh, some basis in fact. Is that if you're uh, caught up in something uh, or you're not able to communicate, if you were to shout, shout out uh, Cobra, I would probably respond to that more quickly than if you call me out by my name or use the official designation. So you know mm-hmm. the the famous uh, thing is you know Cobra break right, or uh, yeah. if I was to call someone. You know, you know, break right. Uh, you would react to that because the call sign and the recognition, and you would just do it. And, and uh, there have been, you know, many occasions where uh, when things have gone uh, sideways and they go sideways often. Oh, yeah. Ops. Um, that ability to have that uh, connection, uh, which I think it has other links to other parts of what we all do, um, is uh, critical to uh, to saving lives and having success. Nothing mm. in the military is done without good reason. Uh, I wish well, I, mean, I, I should qualify that, I guess, but <laughs> operationally, one likes to think so anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Op- what happens is, and, and, and I, I'm probably one of the most guilty when it comes to this, uh, I will call, a, uh, call it out as I see it, but you don't always have a lot of choices on what you're going to do once you've been assigned it. So the, the op part of it does usually have purpose because you're trying to figure out how you're going to succeed and how you're going to minimize the damage, and you don't want to lose anybody. Uh, that's right, absolutely. Ben, now let's get into our questions. Yes. And, uh, Alrighty, Commander Cobra. Uh, we'll begin with kind of an easy question, or maybe not so easy. I mean, it's easy in the fact that it's not a paragraph long, but you know, it might be kind of hard to answer. So is there a secret space program? What is it, and why is it secret? Okay, first thing I'm going to say, absolutely yes. Um, now, I want to qualify that, that I do not have anything that I'm going to reveal here that I've been to a facility or I have seen or done anything. I've been out of active duty for quite a while. Um, most of the test work I do tends to be work on trying to, right now the uh, 
work with things like the tactical cloud and uh, trying to make existing um, electronic communications media more viable, meaning using a cell phone, cloud, texting, and having that work is where I spend a lot of my time when I do test work. I fly systems around on very inexpensive airplanes. In fact, I've been over your place many, many times uh, working over Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And oh, and the one reason of the, is, is that flying it's very black cheap to use those airplanes. Yeah. And then you can test the gear, and then you can say, okay, then we'll give it back to whatever branch of the military is going to put it on theirs. Military test on military aircraft tends to be a much more methodical and a detailed part. But to get to your question, um, there's no doubt in my mind that we do have a space program, uh, quote-unquote secret, and I think that there are two distinct parts to it. The first part, I believe, is uh, this program has been going on pretty much since what you stated in the opening from our time uh, at the moon, and it has secret because of the amounts of money that is being spent and the ability to work around some of the international treaties and niceties that we have. I don't believe we're the only country that is working a secret space program, but I don't think anybody is anywhere near as robust as we are. And I would say that my proof of that, because uh, I studied math undergrad, is the fact that we have uh, less conventional forces in many areas. We have allowed a lot of things to slip, and we have not lost the ability to get other countries' attention uh, in the political sphere uh, with our military capability. So I think what we do and what we're able to do is known, and we're playing on the edges a little bit uh, on that on that big betting table of what's going on. It's things like the uh, X-49, uh, 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 correction, uh, the space plane, I'm sorry, the X-37 uh, space plane. I believe there's a manned version of that aircraft uh, working and is capable and why would you have it because it can give you spot reconnaissance and spot strike if you had to that would be a very big step if that occurred uh, to use and employ a weapon out of space especially something that has a conventional uh, explosive at the end of it would be a real uh, change if it ever became known so I think in the game of trying to stay ahead and trying to neutralize, I think we're in areas where we're dancing on the edge of treaties because we're not supposed to uh, weaponize space. Right. And I think we're long since past that. The other part of the part of the program that I, I often speak about when folks like you have me on as guests or on my own program with my guests is that I think we may, uh, we have indications that we may have a more um, paranormal uh, element to it. And this one's just based on intuition. There's nothing I can point to to give proof uh, on that equation. But it appears to me that we may have uh, more activity going on um, that links back to things that we heard in the 50s and 60s about exchanges and uh, collaborations with other uh, uh, societies, uh, ETs, so to speak. Okay, uh, that's leading into a couple of other questions as well. But sure. Let's um, kind of go back a bit and uh, talk about the moon. Okay. Now, there's a lot of conspiracy theory, you know, conspiracy theory thinking out there uh, that said the whole thing was faked. Okay. Now, uh, I think you and I are both uh, old enough to certainly remember the moon landings of uh, sure. which began in '69 and uh, went on through to '72. Now, the Soviets said later that they tracked the, the Apollo craft all to the moon and back. Now, wouldn't, if, if the thing was faked, wouldn't you think that they'd be jumping up and down saying, hey, look, look over here, you know, we, uh, this thing never even happened. But they didn't do that because they, they certainly would want to embarrass us. So uh, by extension, uh, wouldn't somebody be tracking U.S. space activity and be blurting out all sorts of information about it? People who didn't particularly like us. I, I agree, with you, Paul. I, I understand, and I've listened to quite a few of the folks that uh, you know, feel that we did not, that it was a faked operation. I think a lot of what people reside on that uh, ignores kind of the facts that you're putting forward, uh, facts of some of the gear that was left behind that we can communicate with by lasers to the prisms, mm-hmm. other pieces of gear that were left behind. So. Uh, the moon rocks, um, I think, are, are are pretty evident. They do not show the signs of a of a moon 
rock that has been found on the Earth, uh, especially in places like the fields on Antarctica. Um, they don't they, they they show the same material, but the exterior doesn't have the the same kind of uh, casing that goes with it as it would travel through space and what happens when it came to the atmosphere. So I think there's enough proof there. But I think what we allude to is something that ties into a lot of what is, goes on, and I think it plagues us as a society, if not the world today. Okay. There was a great deal of fear uh, of how successful or unsuccessful it was going to be. I, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting uh, two of the astronauts that have been to the moon, hmm. um, uh, both uh, men that I hold in great regard. Uh, one in particular, Pete Cernan, I thought was probably one of the most uh, – um, I can't describe how classy a gentleman this this man was, mm. and the way he, he would talk. Uh, and he made you feel that because of the efforts that everyone else did around him was the reason he got to the moon. Meaning the folks that you know applied for the program weren't selected to be an astronaut. The people that were still manning aircraft and going on ships and deploying and doing those things were as critical to him getting into the Apollo program because there were still people there to uh, to protect. And I, I was always touched by that, and. There's a quality. I could be completely wrong. I could be proven uh, wrong tomorrow. But again, my intuition, my gut tells me that uh, meeting him and uh, meeting Buzz Aldrin at one point in his career, hmm. that uh, these are men that uh, there, there was no gain for it to do what they if they didn't do what they did. But my point that I'm driving at is we had a huge disinformation program that was associated with UFOs. Uh, that's documented. We know that our government uh, engaged in using the UFO phenomena as a way to cover many of their uh, space aircraft, uh, sure. production, their experimental aircraft. And we have always had a planting of stories throwing people off. Manhattan Project is a perfect example of how they covered up uh, a lot. doesn't mean there isn't reasons to do that, but I think when you get into that kind of trade, it just becomes part and parcel what you're going to do. In particular with the space program and the risk that we would never go to the moon today with the kind of engineering and technology because of the chances that we had to take. Mm -hmm. We just would not approach it. We're, we're not the same group of people. We're not the same group of people that fought World War II. I'm not saying that that is a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying it. I'm stating it as the condition that we are. Our astronauts carried uh, suicide capsules. Uh, most people don't realize that. That's mm -hmm. that's an open fact. Just in case something went bad, they couldn't come back. Uh, they couldn't get them recovered into orbit for a safe recovery. There were steps done there. So there were plenty of things that were done to give enhanced looks of what the moon was going to look like to make our technology look as good as it possibly could. And I think that's where a lot of the stuff that comes out that people are saying, well, see, this was fake. There are a number of pictures that are attributed to being taken on the moon that have been enhanced. They've been airbrushed. There's no, there is absolutely no question about that. Um, they did that because they were looking for uh, the right kind of image. And as you remember, Paul, this was the cataclysmic event. This was the battle that was being fought. How ironic to our first uh, opening question. Yeah. But this was the first battle in space. This was going to decide uh, freedom or not freedom. Uh, that that was just how it was it was put together. Okay, we have a question from a listener already, but but uh, before we get to that, uh, there was some I don't know when when the president announced uh, sort of the idea of a space force. Everybody said you know ha what you know and you know it, may, it might sound to some people rather silly or science fictiony, but when you look at it, and I appreciate your reaction to this. We have billions of dollars of technology out there for communications, um, defense purposes, you know, the this and that, and it's um, it needs it needs to be protected, especially with with, with places like North Korea and China, be, uh, you know, now spacefaring nations effectively, even Iran, you know, uh, is is this? I mean, to me, that seems like a very logical step. Uh, not that you want to militarize space, but but I think it already has been. Right. And uh, the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 is is way out of date anyway. So uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, all right. Well, well, we'll jump to the question right after this. Okay. The reason this has the kind of uh, of attention that it does is because President Trump uh, is a very um, illuminating uh, figure on the world stage right now. This has been talked about, the Space Force, the Space Corps, whatever you want to put after that, 
for a number of years. It is retreat, it's, it's, it's receiving the kinds of attention it is now because of the kind of carnival atmosphere, uh, on steroids that we live in now, mm. uh, in our media. So that, he may be credited, he may be, uh, looked upon as, uh, a savior or a pariah, choosing whatever side is on on this. But, uh, the Space Force is not something he just created in the last two years. That has been around a lot. That's Let's right. delve into some of the mechanics. As you know from my bio that I supplied to you in, in past being on my show when we talked, and with uh, Mac uh, Maloney's Military X-Files, where I, I sit with Mac uh, most weeks, this uh, situation of a Space Force has been around a long time, and what we're after is who is going to control it. And I have spent time with all the services, and I've been actually in two of them, right. uh, the five military branches, and I've been on exchange duty with the others, uh, extended periods of time. Everyone would say, well, this is an Air Force mission. Um, if you look at it, the Air Force would love to have it, and the Air Force does run a space operation that uh, is uh, – incredibly important as you described tracking and figuring out where satellites are what positions we're going to put in the space plane as i was talking the x-37 as we talked about uh, there is a lot of activity what we're probably on the precipice of is a force that is going to look more and for lack of a better term um, it's going to look like what we saw on tv or movies uh, or what we read about in heinland type this is this is the steps that we're taking. What kind of uh, lineup will it have? How will it be put together? And I have often said that uh, if you look at the JSOC, that's the Joint Special Operations Command, where you have uh, a variety of services and uh, backgrounds that are melded into a force that works in theaters around the world. It's that is the kind of approach I think our space force is going to have. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to follow lines more of what a Navy or a Marine Corps will. I think um, if you were to put an air uh, spacecraft up, if that's where eventually where we go, or if we're going to have a core of astronauts that are going to be able to do things in space under a military mantle, it'll probably follow something like what the Navy and the Marine Corps do, or the Army Special Forces type folks do. And I think that there's some. Uh, uh, basis uh, already experimented with with things that we've done with space stations and things in the past. Uh, the protocols. This is the uh, this is the really dull side of the space force. How do you man it? How do you support it? How do you house it? Where is it going to live? Where is it going to train? How's it going to feed? Mm. Those are all things that you we don't think about that. You you just don't. Um, what's the ability to put uh, men and material into space and to do work and then to recover them back. So that, uh, I think, is what is being wrestled with. Uh, just the same way that the Air Force wanted to have a separate air arm uh, after World War II uh, at, the, at the dawn of our atomic and then nuclear uh, capabilities, we are at the next spot. Slight uh, slight uh, wiggle here. I'm going to do what we call a maneuver in, in jets called a shackle. I'm going <laughs> to... Move rapidly to one side horizontally and then bring the wings back level. Also, as Mac has often said, that's Mac Maloney. Yeah. Under all the presidents that we have had in the White House, this is probably the best occasion that we will ever get the release of information. Um, two reasons. One, as a uh, uh, polarizing char- uh, character that has uh, been portrayed on the president, and I don't particularly agree with that, but. Um, he does present that. There are people that are going to release things because of it, just to keep him off balance or to, to cause whatever sensation they want to cause. The other part is he tends to be someone who, if he doesn't see why it should be classified, he's going to talk about it openly. So I think we're in the era of that. The corollary to that is, has he been briefed on something that says we need to step up and do this? Because he does seem to take that kind of approach to a lot of things that he does. Um, he sees a need. And he takes a kind of a, a business approach to it. We're going to go do this now because we need to get this to work. Hmm. Okay. Well, before we move on to the alien component here, and we only have a few minutes before our break, but I wanted to pose a question from our uh, very faithful listener, Phil, in Orange, Massachusetts. Um, ben, if you'd be sure. so kind as to read that. Alrighty. Uh, so Phil writes to us, 
Gentlemen, when the White House announced its idea for the Space Force, Pentagon officials interviewed by newspaper reporters were underwhelmed by the idea. That was a far cry from their reaction in 2003 when the Englishman Gary McKinnon uh, told the media that he had hacked into NASA files and discovered um, reams of evidence supporting assertions that we already had a Space Force. Uh, the, or the Justice Department accused McKinnon of uh, uh, per perpetrating uh, the greatest military computer hack in history, but they eventually gave up trying to extradite McKinnon and don't talk to him anymore. <laughs> uh, can, your, can your guests speak uh, to the, the accuracy of McKinnon's revelations? Uh, I don't. I don't have a really good understanding of what Mr. McKinnon was able to look at and what he was talking about, but it does not seem to go in any conflict to what I have uh, decided or have come concluded. Looking at what I can see, which is probably a lot less than what Mr. McKinnon sees. Most of the really interesting things that I saw that were anything as close to a UFO and as I told you I'd, I'd love to have the experience because I want to I probably won't I've been in the most isolated places of on this globe at, at different occasions by myself perfect opportunity not going to happen uh, but what I did see and what was possibly in that always turned out to be a experimental military aircraft um, usually in the form of taking on a capacity where it was getting ready to be fielded and we weren't going to reveal it to the public we weren't going to reveal publicly reveal the capability so mr mckinnon's uh discoveries uh, doesn't doesn't give me great pause i don't like when information like that comes out that way because uh, i do know that i've been on the end result when things have been compromised and the fact that uh, when president uh, trump makes an announcement that uh, spokespeople at the uh, Pentagon aren't excited or uh, interested in it. That's a show for a different night. I'm not overly impressed with a lot of the leadership that we have uh, and directions that we've gone. As someone who spent a great deal of my life in places like Iraq, um, I think we had a, uh, a mis, uh, misrun campaign in many areas. I think our military is made up of the most uh, outstanding men and women that you could possibly find. Um, but uh, it doesn't surprise me that uh, folks that have become detached from operations, or they may be just this is this is the face we're going to put on for this. We're not going to uh, we're not going to play with this. Well, first of all, I mean, before we get any further into the show, thank you for everything you've done for our country. I yes, mean, and I want to thank you because I had a wonderful time and continue to have a wonderful time. I I did not like losing friends, and I did not enjoy a lot of the things that yeah, happened. But yeah. I was blessed to be a member of this country's military, yep. and it is the finest organization on this earth. Well, I only made it to Grenada, so I didn't do much, but, you know, whatever. It's, <laughs> uh, your, your, your record is awesome as far as I'm concerned, and uh, thank you again. Okay, so we uh, why don't we take our uh, break here, Ben, uh, bottom of the hour break, and we'll get back and start talking about the alien component that may be associated with this. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our great guest today, Commander Cobra. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joe Callahan. Join me weekday mornings 5 to 8 for the ON Morning Fun Show. We'll have local news, state news, national news, Lou Mandeville on sports, great music, fun features, and trivia. Weekday mornings 5 to 8 on ON 1240, WON, One Socket Radio. Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox is on my morning sports reports. And they are right here on ON 1240, Monday through Friday on the Morning Fun Show. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. And we are talking today with Commander Cobra. We are letting him use his pseudonym because we have such respect for him and, and for his anonymity because he does a lot of important work. And to be fair, it's a pretty cool pseudonym. Yeah, right. That's it. Uh, particularly if you're into gaming, which I am not. However, uh, let us uh, get into the um, alien or possible alien component of the notion of a secret space program and everything we've talked about so far. So, Commander, take it away. Well, first, let me, uh, again, thank you for using my uh, call sign. Uh, one of the reasons uh, that you alluded to is, in past, uh, talking about the paranormal, 
uh, on the radio using the name uh, draws in everybody that you possibly have worked with or would work, or could possibly work with in the future, and some folks aren't quite as excited about it. Yeah, that I, was I know probably that the impetus hand. of the start. Now it's kind of I kind of branded it out. It's become almost a silly thing. You know, when I show up at a few of the conferences, I wear dark sunglasses, I have a cowboy <laughs> hat on or a ball cap or something. And it's uh, the branding has uh, obviously we'll have some kind of a coming out party at some point uh, about uh, Commander Cobra. But I do live just up the road from from you and uh, Phil and Orange, and I've flown over both locations uh, extensively over the years. To the alien component that we were talking about again, this this kind of falls into two major broad categories for me. One is recovering uh, equipment, recovering technology from crashes. I think there's a lot of uh, evidence uh, that this is a very possible situation. Um, we have um, countless uh, UFO stories uh, that we have spoke about uh, together and in other shows and, uh, and other uh, venues. Um, the, there's, there's just a, a preponderance of possibilities there. And I like to use, uh, Mac always cracks up when I talk about this, the 3% rule. In test work, if we got something to operate within 3% of predicted, it's usually, especially on something like a, uh, a new uh, type of aircraft, um, if it was within that, we felt we were well, the engineering background had been done and we were in a fairly safe spot to operate with. We had achieved a pretty big goal. So I like to reverse that a little bit. If 3% of everything that we talk about has bona fide fact, it does have hardware, it does have something we can touch and and talk about, uh, I think that's a pretty amazing amount uh, when we look at it uh, overall. So I think that that's one part of the alien influence. The other part is it's definitely uh, it's 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 giggled at by a lot of folks. It's uh, I'm thinking of what uh, your producer or your uh, uh, young lady that sets up the show. Make sure that I use the right language. So she she gave me the uh, the quick uh, update to use the right words because sometimes the uh, the aviator side of me would probably slip off the wrong <laughs> kind of word. Yeah. Um, but uh, it definitely is on the fringe when you talk about a connection to alien cultures that we have been engaged with and actively are working with in some capacity, either in a partnership or a, uh, 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 a relationship where we are trying to stave off something. I think that there is uh, enough there that it should be looked at respectfully and examined. Um, I think all of it should be on the table. I've, I'm one person that does not believe that you should just dismiss what anybody has to come in and, and, and say because um, I think I've told you guys this joke. Uh, even it, just because as you could be crazy doesn't mean you're stupid or wrong. Absolutely uh, right, yes. You, you can have a viable fact there. You just have to be willing to, to, to wade through it and draw a conclusion. I actually so, heard that in a psychiatric hospital one time. When I was, said that a patient actually said, I, said, "I may be insane, but I'm not stupid." Yep, yeah, that's one of my favorite jokes. It's the guy whose uh, his car has uh, got a flat tire, and he manages to get the wing nuts and everything thrown into the uh, highway traffic, and they're gone, and he's losing <laughs> his mind. He looks over at the fence, and he's in front of a mental hospital, and one of the inmates is there. And he's just yelling at the, the inmate, going, what? What do you have to possibly say? And the guy says, y'all, just take a lug nut off the other three tires, space it evenly on your spare tire, drive mm. real slow, and you'll be okay. And the guy looks at it and says, wow, you're a genius. What are you doing in it? Well, I'm crazy. I'm not stupid. So, well, yes, that's that's kind of the world that we you cannot dismiss anything. You don't know where the fact is going to be. And, you know, Paul, and the, and, the, and the largest thing we spoke about this, this is the essence, I think, of a lot of things that go right and wrong with different religions, where you, you have to be open, if you have a belief in God, to the fact that everyone around is still part of that, that body of God. So if you have that ability to do that, you can sift through it. doesn't mean you have to agree, but you should be respectful and listen. I think that there's a possibility that, that something's gone on. Um, one of my favorite cases are entries that comes in that most folks don't know about, and it's mainly because of my love of this particular aircraft, the Mosquito uh, fighter bomber, uh, fighter airplane of World War II, partially made of plywood, partially made of uh, steel tubing, one of the fastest airplanes, and it was an incredible airplane for the Brits. One of those, a very fast airplane, had an encounter with a UFO, and Churchill 
and then General Eisenhower were briefed on it, and they agreed that they needed to just not talk about it. They were going to bury this story. They were going to bury this information, partially because they thought maybe it was something the Germans had, and they knew the Germans were working on super weapons, uh, that it was going to cause morale problems. But there's a, another part of it that isn't spoken too much, that they both acknowledged that this could be something not of human hands. And they didn't want anything taking them off the, the battle that they were in fighting Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. But it's there. And, of course, Eisenhower, being involved with that, what is reported happened to him during his presidency always comes up when we get into this, this subject. Mm-hmm. So, again, you... There's a lot of information to go through, and there's a lot of information to draw your conclusions on. Well, the, w- yesterday, uh, Ben couldn't come, but I w- attended and spoke at the Western Connecticut UFO Conference, the third annual event, and it was very interesting. Uh, it was very well attended. Uh, it was in Danbury, Connecticut, and a number of interesting subjects came up that uh, I haven't heard addressed um, a great deal at the conferences we've attended lately. One of these uh, was, is the government... Or, or, and I, I always bring up this this aspect of it: private industry. Uh, now, the government and private industry work, have always worked together in, in modern times. You know, that's you know, the, the Eisenhower himself warned about the military-industrial complex, Absolutely. this sort of thing. Uh, but are, are is one or the other or both working with what could be described as um, extraterrestrials or, or some sort of alien civilization? Um, my objection to that is uh, not objection, but but one of the, one of the points I bring up is that you know what makes you think they would think of us as equals uh, and engage in any sort of diplomacy with us or commerce or any of this kind. On the other hand, they might very well do so. I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on cooperation uh, as opposed to well, we'll say hostile competition between? our uh, government slash industry and uh, an alien civilization that may or may not be present or right. interacting. I'm going to try to use a historical metaphor to try to give you what I think. We are battling in the Pacific. There are numbers of islands and different cultures that are unknown or very poorly known to the rest of the civilized world. They have, they make agreements with uh, the Japanese on one side. They make agreements with us, the Allies, the Americans on another. Uh, they provide us uh, what we need for housing and materials, sometimes manpower. Um, I don't think that in either side of those groups that we're dealing with these, I'm not going to say it's it's incorrect term to use lesser beings, but um, not the, these other cultures that. We were viewing them with uh, uh, equality. We needed something from them. Uh, we needed their local knowledge. We needed their uh, their local skill sets, and we used them for that. And we got whatever it is we wanted out of it. I think Eric von Daniken does a really great uh, explanation about some of the uh, cultures where they actually continue to build things that look like runways, and they made things that look like airplanes, That's trying right. to attract them to come back mm-hmm. on that. Um, that may be very telling to a relationship that we would have with an alien culture. The other part is we always tend to refer to our ET uh, brethren and uh, in, in the universe as one group. A lot of evidence seems to point to that that is not the, uh, the case, that there are two or three or four major types of uh, uh, entities that are uh, in the universe that may have the capability to come here. One would ask, well, if you have that superior technology, why don't they just use it, take over, and go forward with it? They may have morals. They may have culture. I would tend to think that uh, we're all from the same uh, uh, ultimate being, uh, the same ultimate God. So maybe the same kinds of things So that they, they, we go through and conclusions that we draw on how we're supposed to treat each other and interact, they do as well. All those things said, it's not hard for me to make that leap or to make that understanding that the folks that... Uh, that possibly could be dealing with us have uh, a variety of things on the menu to go forward. And quite honestly, and I don't mean to upset anybody in the audience when I say this, I worry about my fellow man a lot more than anybody exterior to the universe, uh, to our planet right now. Okay. Ben, do you have any, uh, I don't want to monopolize. Oh, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm forming some, some thoughts in my head, right. so I'll, I'll get there. 
Okay, uh, one another thing that came up uh, yesterday is, um, and and uh, Ben wasn't able to attend, but my talk was about um, the uh, the association that I found between exorcism and the the so-called possession that we thought was going on, and the experiences of of the possessed people with UFOs and what appear to be alien greys who would come to them at night. Now, this is in 1973. Uh, the crossover phenomenon was not being widely examined, and there was uh, different kinds of paranormal phenomena who classically are not associated with one another, we think are. But in those days, that was a thing of the future. And the priest with whom I was working, because I was a student for the priesthood at the time, this is before I uh, was in the Coast Guard, he said, uh, well, these people are officially bonkers anyway because they're inmates at state hospitals, and uh, so don't pay any attention to their UFO stories. And we were more concerned with, you know, stuff flying off the shelves in their room and uh, poltergeist activity taking place around them and all this business. Um, I just got the impression that this was the wrong approach. Uh, I got the impression that whatever it was was feeding, even on the exorcism ritual, uh, because of its, um, you know, sort of command authority and, and its, its, its hostile approach to the, the, the beings themselves. And eventually, over a few years, I formed the conclusion, you know, and, and nobody's going to listen to me. I was too young. And the idea was that, that these may be uh, what are today known as energy parasites sure. who, are, who, are, who are filling the roles of something. In other words, they were not what they appeared to be, and they did not fit into our narrow paradigm, and labels applied to them by us were inadequate. So uh, transferring, uh, I thought these were alien beings. When I had, and even today, when I come face to face with these things, they are absolutely other. They don't necessarily come out of spaceships, but they are alien in every sense of the word. So um, my question to you is, uh, and this is a bit of a stretch because nobody really knows, the definition we have of alien as as an extraterrestrial is is that good enough? Uh, you know. So go ahead. No, it, absolutely, it, it isn't. It, it's insufficient. We, I, I like to go back to physics on it a little bit. Newtonian physics answered the questions and got us all the way to the point of really splitting the atom. Uh, then as we really delved into it, we realized there was a whole side of it with that quantum tries to answer, and that's subdividing as people come up with the various ways to try to explain it. I was just reading Mac's uh, latest book where they talk about the experiment where it shows you is light uh, in waves or is it in particles. Yeah. Um, and if you fantastic. see the experiment, it's going to show as particles, the scientists that see it close, see it as come at waves, the same photons being emitted through the, the, the simple screen as it goes forward. So my point on this, we only can define things by what we're, what the tools and the language that we have to define it. Uh, quick aside, this is why it gets really, really dangerous, in my opinion, when you start to uh, ignore history or change it or don't want to uh, to study it because mm-hmm. you lose the value of past success and failure. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, we are what we're we're approaching is understanding that this is much more interrelated than we ever have given it credit to. Mm-hmm. And I think the unified field theory that applies in physics and what uh, Einstein worked on uh, towards uh, pretty much the last part of his life to its death is extends into this physical world that we uh, and spiritual world that we don't uh, quite understand that we aren't willing to uh, to accept. Um, I think it is all unrelated, Paul. We've talked about this at length, that uh, it, it only makes sense that when you draw the Venn diagram of all these, the, that intersection or intersections of many of these spheres um, definitely uh, make me understand that there is a connection to this. And the fact that if I was to take a, a vast majority of stories when people have been in what they purported to be extraterrestrial vehicles, um they do not have the, tr- the traditional kind of controls. Uh, the energy seems to be uh, something that is a, a drive system that is very powerful, but much simpler than anything that we presently are able to uh, to harness to make work on large scale. It would not surprise me in the least that these beings have the ability to use energy, are feeding on it, as you said, in a way that we just do not realize. I, I think that that's a very fair uh, estimation. Hmm. I think that um, I think I think it's good 
where where we're going in a direction where there's sort of a unified of field of um, you know study, right? Because all these all these sort of phenomena tend to happen all in the same place, you know, if um, like flap areas and stuff. You know, like the whole Mothman thing. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just only Mothman; it was Men in Black. You know, UFOs people were seeing, and it's all all kind of sort of coming together. But I think there's like a a very dangerous um, sort of habit that people tend to do, and it's sort of the encroachment of 19th century spiritualism that's kind of crept its way into ufology over the last decade. And I think that it's a very dangerous sort of, you know, assumption, right? You know, um, who's to say that, you know, extraterrestrials, if that is if that is indeed what they are, um, have the same motivations as we do, or the same spirituality as we do? You know, who's to say they have the same moral complex we do? I think it's, I think, you know, it, it sort of leads to another thing, which is disclosure, which everyone's really harping about and been harping about. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, for the last, like, you know, couple couple years or so. And it's like, you know, so the people are like, oh, well, you know, I we really want to know the truth. The government knows. And it's like, well, what if they don't know anything? And if they did know something, why would they say something at all? You know, I think, I think it's dangerous to assume that anything that isn't human, or even a human, has the same morals as we do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do, and I, I'm I'm going to uh, show my uh, my more uh, independent thinking. Uh, I'm I'm a parent, Paul. You can uh, Ben. I'm not sure if you are, but there are times well, when you don't cats, let your kids so know that you don't know. You will sometimes just tell them they have to do something uh, based on your previous. Uh, uh, demonstrated knowledge and uh, your parental position and I think what uh, uh, Ben is speaking to is I think the government in many cases because the government is us as as scary a, as a concept as that is <laughs> that we they don't want to ever give the facade that they don't know they would much rather act like they do know something and not tell you so I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, value to what you just that observation you made, Ben, because I think that that's part of the of the situation. I'm not going to say the problem; it's part of the situation, the environment that we live in. Well, the entire disclosure movement, I was going to point out, uh, is um, I think rather naive uh, because the government may not know as much as people think, as as we've just said, uh, or it may not release accurate or full information at any point. And again, I, so I think it's there's a certain um, yeah, so a, a total amount thinking. of facetiousness, I'll say, yeah, that's never happened before in either case. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right. I, I exactly. don't know where you come up with these crazy conclusions like that. Exactly. Well, I just yeah, the, uh, the, the just one final point before I get to the next question, uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I'm always fascinated uh, in, in a bit uh, steamed at times when people equate advancement or the notion of a, uh, a more advanced civilization, that sort of thing, with technology. I mean, I, for one, would rather ha make contact with a civilization that is advanced morally and spiritually than with a um, civilization that's advanced technologically. And, and I think I, I might have made the point on your show that, you know, you asked the question, who, what was the most advanced nation in the, in technologically in the 1930s? It was Nazi Germany. You know, where'd that get us, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. Just uh, the, the notion that, that we even approach the subject with, with that idea of advancement as technological only is is rather frightening to me. So I think that there are two, possibly three major uh, things that we've seen on television in the television, films, and arts department that uh, kind of support this. It's Star Trek, um, it would be uh, The X-Files, and uh, I think uh, The Twilight Zone. Um, the, those three, and the reason I bring that up is what you just described, if you remember the scene in Star Trek where they are trying to save this civilization because they're basically uh, um, goat herders. They're, they're living, um, wearing simple clothing. They, they're running around with goats. They seem to be unbelievably obtuse to the threat that they are uh, facing. And they were so far advanced, that was how they chose to live uh, their physical existence was a very simple, humble, aggregate, uh, agricultural type society, and they weren't going to let anything bad happen. They were they were trying really hard <laughs> to make I think yeah, it I think was the Balkans that. and us uh, yeah. get along, mm -hmm. uh, the Federation get along. I think that uh, belays the fact, Paul, why you have so many people that are interested with you, the kind of work that you and Ben do, because 
I'll, I'll give you the story that was given to me in martial arts. Uh, older, uh, very experienced uh, martial artist in the village. He knows his time is drawing to end his, his end of his life's coming. He's going to take on an apprentice who's going to be taught all the mysteries and secrets that he knows. He narrows it down to two young lads. They go off into the jungle. Um, as they're moving along, at one point, the old man makes a motion for them to stop. He comes to a stop. A tiger leaps out of the jungle and with two fingers, his forefinger and his middle finger, he hits the tiger, is instantly able to disable the tiger. Uh, the, t- the tiger just, you know, is, is knocked out and is at his feet. And the first kid runs up to him and says, Master, I, whatever I have is yours. What I want is just to be able to know and to have the kind of knowledge to do the kind of things that you just did. And he looks over at the other kid and the other kid standing there goes, Master, all I ask before you dismiss me because I'm not worthy to learn Teach me how to defend from that. I've been both those kids in my life. I've mm. been the one that's ran up for the, the bright, shiny capability. And now I would like to say that I, on balance, I have been smart enough to know when to ask how to defend on something like that, being vastly more important than knowing how to do that. And I think that's the kind of thing that you're approaching, Paul, by saying you'd want to be engaged with people who have gotten out of the uh, the crazy cycle that we see ourselves in. We we devour technology but we don't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it it's not enhancing nearly as much uh as it should be no there it is i think you've just uh, sort of extrapolated the uh, the essence of it mm. i have a question that, that amazing that a guy with commander cobra call sign would come up like that but like a blind squirrel <laughs> in a snowstorm occasionally i find a nut so i mean good what we got what eight minutes left i'm glad we're gonna have a strong finish okay <laughs> okay well, actually more like four minutes because we have announcements <laughs> But in any case, even better. I want to Going give you. We, we want to give you the chance to talk about your, your your great show, which I've had had the privilege of being on, and uh, anything else you're working on, website, etc., any books, uh, etc. Please go ahead. You know the uh, the book looms, but when the book comes out, it's going to be something uh, much more in the uh, fictional uh, category. Where I'd like to, I'd like to have some fun with some of the things that I've done in the past because I've been, like I said, blessed to have uh, wonderful experiences and adventures and i've been around some of the finest people uh in from this country as well as around the world i i ideally uh, have had some great experiences that i'd like to put uh to either paper or uh, electronic uh, media on that the show is doing well uh because of a recent job change i'm going to be shifting into taping more of my shows on uh, sunday nights so i'm preparing for a show tonight in fact on kgra thank you very kindly for your time and come on and i look forward to having you and ben on again because it's just as you know i i say that i got the greatest audience on the planet and i do it the, the miracle of uh, internet radio as it is i have folks that uh, that are kind enough to engage with me with emails and, and uh, messages um all through the week because many folks wait to uh, probably get the podcast of the show and i've been blessed to uh, work with mac and one one uh, where uh, how you and i met Mac's the one that got me started in this crazy thing Mac's years incredible. back, and Mac wrote, is one of the most prolific writers out there. He does great yeah. military tech, mm-hmm. and uh, we got together because I wrote him a letter telling him, hey, I think you're probably a pilot, but I'm not sure you're a military pilot. Some of the stuff you got is a little bit off. So he called me straight up one day, a couple of days before Christmas a few years back, and said, hey, this is Mac Maloney. What's wrong with my books? <laughs> <laughs> That's what that, that would be back, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've uh, we've we've become very good friends over the years. He's been a he's been a wonderful mentor and a great friend. So those are the really the big things that are going on. Like I said, this new work assignment I'm excited about because I'll be working as a mentor as a coach, taking some of my lessons from uh, military aviation and working in industries and stuff like that. And I still substitute school teach. I don't tell them too much about the radio show, mm-hmm. uh, but I do make allusion to it. So I'm sure one of these days. Uh, a board, uh, not PlayStation uh, playing person will stumble upon and go, I wonder if this was my substitute teacher <laughs> I had. <laughs> well, we all have to comp- compartmentalize our lives to a certain extent. Mm. Well, Commander, thank you so much for a, a fascinating show. We well, look forward to having I wanted, you back. Also, congratulations yes. on 11 great years. Uh, I've, I've heard your show over the years because I grew up in New England. I was away for a long time in the military. I've been back about uh, 10, 12 years. I, and I just love Rhode Island. I love the whole area uh, that we uh, that we reside in. And congratulations to both of you. I think it's a great father-son team. It really is quite envious. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And you're a coach. I mean, I, you know, cross society. Yep. We're, yep. we're, we're, we're caught. 
Very good, absolutely. Well, Semper Paratus, brother. And Semper Paratus to you as well, sir. Okay, and we'll talk to you very soon. For bye. Sure. All right, bye-bye. Okay, folks, uh, on Columbus Day weekend, October 5th and 6th, now we haven't been on the air for a few weeks live, so we wanted to mention this, uh, along with many of the great guests you've heard on this show, we spoke at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. It was a great weekend, well attended, and many thanks to Susan Spooler and her team for all the great work they did. By the way, the 2019 Greater New England UFO Fest Conference is set for October 4th and 5th, and find out more at NewEnglandUFO.com, and we'll be updating you as the, the year progresses. And uh, yesterday, my dad was back at the uh, Danbury, Connecticut Library once again. Uh, sadly, I could not be there because I took off the wrong days of my schedule uh, for for the third annual uh, Western Connecticut UFO Conference. And many thanks to Aurelio Maraca for a great job in the organizing of the event. And it was very well attended. And it was very interesting. There were approaches taken that I haven't heard at a lot of the... Con- I mentioned this earlier. A lot of the conferences we've attended lately. Uh, some very good questions. Uh, there were pe- all sorts of interesting people attending. Uh, we had some great questions. Uh, Shane Searway was there, our, our great friend and uh, co-host of the frequent co-host of this show, and he had to leave a little early because he had a three-hour drive back to New Hampshire. So, Poor guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I had a two-and-a-half-hour drive. So, anyway, it was it was just um, really well attended, and we thank uh, Lori, our casting producer, for assisting uh, with the book table. And there was um, just a lot of lot of great people, a lot of great things going on. Okay, so um, my next... Actually, th- there is another event, and, and I wanted to, if we have time, just to mention it here. Sure. Uh, this is um, having to do with our great friend, Tom Spidaleri, who has really surprised me uh, with the, the amazing involvement with the community, particularly around Haverhill, Mass., and, and the communities in that vicinity, uh, that there is an event on the 26th, a Friday the 26th, and... Um, Oh, okay, I don't know if I have it here. But I, anyway, look at our website, and we'll certainly uh, get that uh, get that up. It's a fundraiser uh, for um, a uh, – oh, here it is. Okay, I'm sorry. Should have been more organized. Um, Hamptons, Hampton, New Hampshire's own Spirit Chasers Paranormal and Northern Mass uh, Essex County Ghost Project for a night of spirited talk and paranormal intrigue as we raise money for the restoration of the historic South Meeting House in Seabrook, New Hampshire. That's what the – what the, uh, the charity is for. Uh, okay, and uh, the night will feature local and internationally known paranormal speakers. Uh, I'll be speaking on the um, cryptid uh, situation, um, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. And uh, Ben, you're invited. I, don't, I know that's not a good day for you, but I'm going to go up and get, give him a hand with the fundraising for this. So check it out. Check out our website. We'll have more information on that. So, um, okay, so check out BehindTheParanormal.com, and uh, you'll find the 800 uh, hours of shows there. Uh, ben, what do we have next week? Very quick. So next week, uh, October 21st, uh, we are on uh, WO1 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. Uh, we bring you an open line show and panel discussion on all sorts of paranormal topics. Uh, the panelists uh, will include uh, Shane Searway, Mark D'Antonio, Laurie Greer, and Bigfoot hunter David McCullough. Very good. So uh, we're just about out of time, no, I guess. For, we have time for the quote. Will you? Okay. Yeah. We'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from Oliver Wendell Holmes, great American jurist. All limitations are self-imposed. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with